Second Corinthians chapter three, starting in verse 18. But we all with unfailed face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose, God, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness is the one who was shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word and please be seated. This morning, I want to focus on preaching for spiritual transformation, preaching for spiritual transformation. I want to encourage us and embolden us not to lose heart, but as preachers of the gospel of the glory of Christ, we are God's chosen vessels through which he has determined to allow his glorious power to move through us. To create in the people of God that which did not exist. And so, preaching for spiritual transformation. How are we spiritually transformed? Well, here Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, having compared the old covenant ministry to the new covenant, he says, but we all. With unfailed vase, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. We are spiritually transformed by beholding the glory of the Lord. We are transformed as we behold the glory of the Lord, and Paul will say later in the chapter that our inner man is being renewed day by day and producing in us an eternal weight of glory. And as I was glad last night to hear uh, uh, Dr. Um, Beakey as he was preaching, he reminded us, and I thought for a minute he was going to take my whole sermon away from me, but he reminded us that the gospel isn't just about justification. As vital as that is, 
as central it is to understand that justification is an act of God and where he declares us innocent and imputes to us the righteous merits of the obedience of Christ. The gospel contains more than that, doesn't it? The gospel includes in it the promise that one day we would stand before the throne of the glorious God, blameless and with great joy. And that spiritual transformation is ongoing day by day in the midst of the people of God as God chooses to show His glory to His people. And we must see this glory because we are all too easily satisfied with our own righteousness, aren't we? And we're all too satisfied with our own wisdom and power. Calvin says that it is certain that a man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descending from contemplating him to scrutinizing himself. We are not thus convinced if we look merely to ourselves and not also to the Lord, who is the sole standard by which this judgment must be measured. For because of all of us, in all of us, we are inclined by nature to hypocrisy. He goes on to list how we are easily satisfied with our own righteousness and power and wisdom. And I can prove that to us. Just think. Whether it be in your own home, your church, or even in our association, in the, in the um, tensions that we have right now. Don't we all find ourselves thinking something like this? This would all go a whole lot better if everybody just thought like I did. Of course, it's true in my case. We must show the people the glory of the Lord. And we show them the glory in the law of God. Isaiah says in Isaiah 42, 21, the Lord was pleased. For his righteousness sake to make the law great and glorious in the law, we see the holiness of God described for us in human preceptive terms. So we would be able to compare his holiness with ours. And when we do, we find ourselves wanting and lacking and it drives us to what Paul will call in First Timothy 1.11, the glorious gospel of Christ. Or in our text, the gospel of the glory of Christ. And we allow the law to show us the glory of the Lord. We see our need and we go to the glorious cross and we are transformed from one level of glory to another by the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. And so we must show them the glory. So a spiritual transformation is accomplished through seeing the glory of God by what means do we have to show them the glory? Well, Paul says in our passage, it's through the preaching of the word. Chapter four, verse one, we have this ministry of showing the glory through uh, through not through uh, not walking in craftiness in verse two or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth. Verse three, our gospel. Verse 4, the gospel of the glory of Christ. Verse 5, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. And so we come to show our people the glory of the Lord, as though through a mirror, 
believing that in preaching the law for what it was intended to be, we will drive people to the, to the foot of the cross. And the Lord the Spirit comes and works in them and creates in our people the very thing that was not there when they awoke this morning. And we must be persuaded of these things. We must be confident of these things. Not of ourselves, but of the God who was promised. Because too often we do not treat the Word of God rightly. We turn the law, for example, into helpful tips. We turn the law into eternal truths that if you could just master them, you too could have a wonderful life now. We often confuse the law with the gospel and the gospel with the law. What we must do is give a clear presentation of both law and gospel, believing that God would work through these to bring spiritual transformation. Our confession says that the grace of faith whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word. And may God grant us the boldness of Martin Luther when uh, Luther leaves Worms, as you know, he goes up to uh, Wartburg Castle where he's translating the Bible into German. And while he's there, he has up till then compatriot in the Reformation. Karlstadt decides that he wants to move the Reformation along. He's grown impatient with the absence of Luther. And he wants to make the Reformation go forward and, and gives approval and empowers those others to smash out the, the, the stained glass windows and destroy the images. And I'm told he even offers the Mass in street clothes, which at the time was quite brazen. And in part, this is why Luther leaves the castle to come back to confront Karlstadt and to stop that. And he preaches at least eight sermons against Karlstadt and this movement of the Reformation through force and these actions. At the end of the second sermon, he says, In short, I will preach it, teach it, write it, but I will constrain no man by force, for faith must come freely without compulsion. Take myself as an example. I imposed indulgences on all the papists, but never by force. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Philip and Amsdorf, and yes, he has that in the sermon, The word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses. I did nothing. The word did everything. And brothers, as we come to our pulpits each Lord's Day, we must come with that same kind of confidence. That when we preach the word of God, when we preach the glory of the, the gospel of the glory of Christ, that the very Spirit of God will move in and through the preaching of the Word to accomplish that which God has decreed for His people and promised us in that Gospel. Not only the justification by faith, but to bring us from one level of glory to another till we stand in His presence blameless. The God who justified, Paul tells us, is also the God who glorifies. And we must show them the glory. So let me quickly give you two reasons from the text. Why? And one application. 
Why must it be this way? Well, first of all, because of our sin, as we've already referred to. But we must be persuaded that real theology takes a real fall really seriously. Let me say that again. Real theology takes a real fall really seriously. And that should inform how and what we preach. Paul has told us in Romans chapter 1 that because of the fallenness of man, in our fallen state, the natural proclivity of the sinful man and woman is to suppress the truth of God, to distort the self-revelation and self-disclosure of God in the world around him and within. He exchanges the truth of God for a lie. That is the natural proclivity of our heart in our fallenness. And here in the text, Paul reminds us that the God of this world is very happy to accommodate us in that natural proclivity. And not only why we are suppressing the truth, distorting the truth, exchanging the truth, the devil comes to blind us to the truth. It says in verse 3 and 4 that even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And if we are transformed from uh, glory to glory by beholding the glory of the Lord, then they must be able to see the glory of Christ. And that is accomplished through the preaching of the Word amongst the people of God. So show them the glory. As you come into the pulpit, make it your intent that the sermon that you've prayed over, the sermon that you have worked through, the sermon that you have carefully considered for the bringing to your people, that in the midst of that sermon you are showing them, bringing them to the glory of the Lord, that the Spirit of God might work in their midst. The second reason why it must be this way is because is God's means to create that which does not exist. The Apostle Paul says in verse 6, For God who said, let, said let light, uh, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Paul likes to take the, the doctrines of salvation and link them with the doctrines of creation. And he does so here. The same God who creates ex nihilo, who speaks into existence that which did not exist, speaks into existence in the hearts of sinful men and women that they might know the glory of God in the face of Christ. Back in Romans 4, where Paul is talking about justification by faith and using Abraham as that as that exemplar of what it means to be justified. In verse 16, he talks about how justification is by grace in order that the promise might be certain. And then in verse 17, he adds, it is God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which did not exist. And every Lord's Day when we climb into the pulpit, that is what God is doing. 
The Father is speaking in and through His Son by the power of the Spirit in the midst of the vessel of an earthly preacher who brings the unadulterated Word of God to show the people the the glory of God and see their lives transformed. Not by techniques, not by formulas, not by the whimsical uh, personality of the pastor. Because it's not of us, is it? We show them the glory of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. I love what Dort says in chapter 3 and 4, article 12, when it talks about regeneration. It says regeneration is, is no wise affected merely by the external preaching of the gospel by moral suasion. And don't we often... In our, whether it be in our preaching or in our evangelizing, we really just are trying to persuade people in the sense of moving their hearts and using ways to make them feel this need. And while there's a place for us to, to make defense and proclamation of the gospel, regeneration doesn't come through an argument. If we just give them the right argument, the non-Christian is going to go, oh, well, yeah, I never thought of it that way before. That's not going to happen, is it? Dort goes on to say that regeneration is a supernatural work, most powerful, and at the same time, most delightful, astonishing, mysterious, and ineffable, not inferior in efficacy to creation or the resurrection from the dead. And brothers, as we get into our pulpits, may we be persuaded of the truthfulness of that statement. That what God wants to do through you on any given Lord's Day is show His people His glory for their transformation. So the application is very simple and it's found in verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Brothers, we are not to preach ourselves. We are not to preach our wisdom. We are not to preach the wisdom of the age. What we are is to preach Christ and His glory. And uh, at our church, we just are putting the finishing touches on a new sanctuary. And we had the freedom to be able to ask this question. If theology drove the architecture, what would it look like? And we considered things like light and darkness. Sound, volume, impressions. And in reading, it came upon articles that talked about pulpits and how the pulpits used to be high and large in order that the man in the pulpit would look small. Not small as in slender. but small as an insignificant. It would communicate that the man is not the person that we look to, but God. This is merely the vessel through which the Father will speak to us in the person of the Son by the power of the Spirit as the Word of God is unadulterated, proclaimed in the midst of the people of God. We live in a day and age where the church is continually being marginalized, where even we who hold to the, the ordinary means of grace 
have become more and more susceptible of believing that, you know, if you really want to hear the Word of God preached, you don't go to the local church. You go to a conference where the A-team of preachers will be. But brothers and sisters, the vast majority of souls that will end up in heaven will be uh, souls that have been won to Christ through men who will never warrant a footnote in any history of any association or denomination or history of the church. Christ is preached sometimes in the most glorious cathedrals. And Christ is preached in some of the most ordinary lean-to shacks on the south side of places like Haiti. And it's the same gospel that transforms lives. And we need to believe this. And we need to believe it not on Sunday. We need to believe it on Monday. As we prepare and as we think and as we pray, as we weigh what we will say. So that not only we will be persuaded of the ordinary means of grace, that our people will be persuaded. If God was really present, if our people really were persuaded that the Father was present in the midst of His people, preaching to His people through His Son, by the Spirit, through earthly vessels, do you think they would miss church? Gee, I wonder if the Diamondbacks, can I get good tickets today? Think of all the things that we so easily replace with the hearing of God. Probably like a lot of your churches, our church tends to start late. People are, you know, walk in after the call to worship. I said to them one time, would you walk into an appointment interview late? Would you show up to your wedding late? you show up to your children's graduation late? Why do we show up to God's appointed hour? As if it didn't really matter. And brothers, I think a lot of that falls on us and the way we have treated the Lord's Day's preaching. My encouragement to you is not to lose heart. When you don't see the apparent transfer. I love what Mike said yesterday when you said that I, I didn't catch this, the number, but he told us the speed in which the earth is moving right now and we don't even perceive it. That was such a great illustration. That's going to end up in a sermon of mine at home someday. But just as certain as the earth is moving, the glory of the Lord is being displayed every Lord's Day in the church as we bring the goods of the Word of God. Amen? Show them the glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are a God who is so powerful. You speak and it occurs. You said, let there be light and there was light. And You have said in Your Word that You speak into us the very new life that is found for us in Christ. I pray for my brothers here this morning and myself that you would persuade us of these things, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel. We would not rely on the, the, the wisdom of men, the wisdom of ourselves, or the wisdom of, these, of this age. And that we would be faithful servants to open up the gospel of the glory of Christ. That our people might behold your glory 
and by your power be spiritually transformed. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.